You're listening to the Pursuit of Christ podcast, where we are passionate about developing a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ by taking the truths of Scripture and applying them to everyday life. We hope that you'll be encouraged and challenged as we examine God's Word together today. Well, good morning, and welcome to our study in the book of Proverbs this morning. Today we're going to be uh, finishing up Proverbs chapter 10. Uh, So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Proverbs chapter number 10, and uh, we're going to be starting in verse 19. And today I'm going to be taking you through Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19 through the rest of the chapter, Um, because this section, it's a little bit longer section, but it functions as one literary unit. Um, So there's some aspects of Hebrew poetry uh, in this text, and so the way that Solomon constructed it, the way that Solomon put it together, it's supposed to function as one cohesive unit. Uh, in fact, in Hebrew poetry, there's a, there's, there's a literary device that he uses here uh, where he actually takes three topics and he, re- he addresses them and then he addresses them again in reverse order. So in this long section, there's three primary topics that are dealt with and he deals with each of them twice. And then the middle issue, uh, laziness, actually kind of functions as a hinge uh, to those various topics. So the way that this text is broken down is in verses 19 through 21, Solomon speaks about the tongue. And then in verses 22 through 25, uh, he talks about wealth and personal security. And then if you look at verse 26, he discusses laziness and work habits. And, uh, and that's really the hinge in this entire unit. And then you get to down to verse 27 and verses 27 through 30. He again readdresses the idea of personal security, some of the results of pursuing uh, security God's way. And then in verses 31 and 32, he finishes with again readdressing the tongue. So Solomon builds up through these topics and then he readdresses them again in reverse order. And so because of that, this is one cohesive literary unit. And I just want to take a few minutes this morning to walk through and address all of this. Because this is a longer section, I'm not going to go verse by verse and break it down uh, completely. I'm just going to go through topic by topic and discuss each one with you. Uh, So let's go ahead and jump in here. Beginning in verse 19, Solomon says this, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. The tongue of the just is his choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. And really in this section here, verse 19 is kind of the all-encompassing thesis statement for this. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Listen, having wisdom is not just about knowing what to say. Wisdom is also knowing about when not to speak. And and sometimes people that are the most verbose are the people that are the least worth listening to. And so um, I remember I had a I had a professor, man, that I looked up to one time, wasn't the most talkative guy. Um, But whenever he spoke, everybody listened because we wanted to hear what he had to say, because when he spoke, it was worth listening to. And so sometimes when we hear people going around pontificating all the time and always speaking, always being verbose, always wanting to have people listen to what they have to say, sometimes wisdom tells us that maybe what they have to say isn't all that valuable. And it it certainly makes you more easy to tune out as well. 
So we need to be careful of that. He says, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. The tongue is difficult to bridle. And we understand that the more that we talk, the more that we talk, the more opportunities that we give ourselves to sin. So I think we need to be careful and understand that in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Wisdom isn't just knowing what to say. Wisdom is also knowing when not to say things as well. Then you jump down to verse 22. And he starts talking about this idea of personal security. He says, The blessing of the Lord it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. It is as sport to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding hath wisdom. The fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. As the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more, but the righteous is an everlasting foundation. So we understand here that those who pursue personal finances, those who pursue personal security by their own means bring destruction, they bring disaster upon themselves. But those that do it God's way, he says in verse 25, the righteous is an everlasting foundation. We have to understand as well, verse 23, it is a sport to a fool to do mischief. And so foolish people pursue after their foolishness. They enjoy it. It's like a fun activity for them. And sometimes we look at the world around us and we say, why do people do what they do? And we ask with Asaph in Psalm, I believe it's 73. We say, why, when will the wicked be punished? We have to understand that unsafe people act like unsafe people and foolish people act like foolish to them. It is a sport. It's an activity. It's something to be pursued, but, but. We understand that a man of understanding hath wisdom. And then he follows that up in verse 24. The fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him. So in their activities, when uh, when legal restrictions are broken, we think sometimes think of big corporations and breaking tax codes and some of those type of things. Well, eventually that all comes back and it falls back on their head. But But for the righteous who do things God's way, they have an everlasting foundation. And this is just another reminder that in our practical life, in the way that we handle our finances, in the way that we amass our wealth, do we do it wisely? Do we do it according to God's standards? Or or are we attempting to cut corners? Are we attempting to game the system, so to speak? So how, how do we do what we do? Are, are we acting with integrity in regards to our personal security and finances? And then we get down to verse 26. And in verse 26, this verse really acts as the hinge uh, for this entire text. He says, "Is vinegar to the teeth and is smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send him. You ever sat around a campfire and all of a sudden the wind shifts and the smoke gets blowing right at you? What happens when that smoke gets in your eyes? Oh, it itches, it burns, right? Eyes start watering. It's irritating. It's irritating. It's annoying. And here Solomon tells us, he says, look, just like smoke to the eyes, that itching, irritating, type feeling, right? So is the sluggard to them that sends him. A lazy individual irritates, frustrates society, frustrates their workplace, frustrates their coworkers. A, a, a lazy individual, just like that itching, irritating, makes your eyes water frustration of wood smoke. So is the sluggard to those that work around them, to whom the sluggard is, is working with. And I think we can all attest to that. Lazy people, it's tough. It's tough to work around lazy people. It should also be an encouragement to us to not be lazy people. 
And sometimes we all struggle, I think, with bouts of laziness or apathy, or we show up and sit at our desk and just kind of look at the screen and go, oh man, like, what am I doing right now? You know, we all have bouts of that, but we have to understand that in order to be a blessing and an encouragement to build up those around us, right? Are we going to be wood, smoke, and vinegar, or are we going to be in a blessing and encouragement to our coworkers and a, and a good testimony in our workplace? And then he goes back, starting in verse 27, he readdresses this idea of personal security. And then starting in verse uh, verses 27 through 30, uh, he talks about some of the ramifications of what he had discussed earlier in the text. He says, The fear of the Lord prolongeth the days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. The righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. Uh, I think we need to note in verse 27, one characteristic of Proverbs and of Hebrew poetry in general uh, is they are not promises. Um, they are just general, uh, they are general statements of truth. Um, but just because it's written down in a Proverbs does not mean that it's a promise. There's a difference between a proverb and a statement of general truth and a promise that God gives us. So in verse 27, if we read that as a promise, we can look at that and say, well, that's not always true. But I think generally the statement that Solomon here makes is true. He says, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Generally speaking, that is true. That is true. And it should be a maxim that all of us who want to pursue after righteousness should take and hold to and say that God blesses obedience. But does everybody who loves God and pursues after Jesus Christ, do they all reach long life? And the answer is no. The answer is no. And that's why I think it was just, as I was reading through this, I think it's important to note the difference between a proverb and a promise. And we understand these as statements as general truth, and we hold to these and understand that generally that's how they play out in our life. But it's not a promise or a guarantee from God. But generally speaking, the fear of the Lord does prolong our days, and the years of the wicked are shortened. And then he says the expectation or the hope of the righteous will come to fruition. It shall be gladness. So the things that the righteous desire, the expectation, the things that we work for, those generally speaking will come to fruition because the Lord will bless, but the expectation of the wicked will fail. And then uh, I love verse 29. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. And then he finishes this section in verses 31 and 32 by again talking about our words, talking about the tongue and communication. He says, The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the froward tongue shall be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speak frowardness. Now in verse 31, when he says the froward tongue will be cut out, that is metaphorical there. So he's not talking literal, it's going to be cut out, but the Lord will judge those who speak in this way. And when he talks about frowardness here, other translations render this perverseness. Uh, and sometimes when we think about froward or perverse speak, we think about it particularly in uh, as sexual in nature, locker, locker room jokes and some of those type of things. But I think frowardness goes beyond, that's a component of it, but I think it goes beyond that. Because what frowardness or perverseness does is it takes the truth and then it manipulates it and it twists it and it re-speaks it out for personal promotion or, or gain. 
So for instance, if you have an incompetent manager at work and, and you go and you're talking to your coworkers, now, is it true that your manager may be incompetent? Yeah, that may be true. But to take that and to twist that truth and then repackage it and speak it out in a way that makes you look good or that rips your manager down, that is froward speech. Because scripture tells us that we are to speak the truth in love. Matthew 18 tells us we go to the individual that we're struggling with. We're told to speak speech that is good to the use of edifying and building up. So even if a lot of times I think we try to to reconcile this under the guise of, I'm just calling it like I see it. I use that expression sometimes. I have to be careful. Uh, We like to say, well, I'm just calling it like I see it. But when you call it like you see it, are you being forward in your speech or are you being edifying and Christ honoring? So that's kind of the breakdown of the text, and that's where Solomon goes with it. Now, I've entitled this message, Do We Have Self-Control? Because I think all three of these things, our communication, the tongue, uh, personal security, the way that we handle our finances and interact with those around us, our work habits, laziness, uh, I think we have the ability to be self-controlled in all of those areas. We have the ability to control our attitude when we get into the workplace, uh, regarding our work habits. We have the ability to uh, to maintain our attitude and to deal with others justly. We have the ability to watch our tongue. Now, I say we have the ability to do that in and of ourselves, humanly speaking. Uh, we don't. We don't. And unsaved people act like unsaved people because they don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. But you and I do. And one of the marks of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And so as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God, Solomon has to teach all this in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, they didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And so for them, this was they, I mean, this was a, a daily thing where they really had to work through and, and fight through and ask God to be with and guide and direct and help them. You and I have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And as we do as Romans 12, as Romans 12, 2 tells us, and we say, man, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to uh, give my body as a living sacrifice. That includes our work ethic and attitudes. That includes our tongue. That includes our finances and the way that we interact with the people around us. So the question is, will we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God? Will we work out our own salvation like Philippians 2, 12 and 13 tells us? And will we fight for self-control in these areas. And I think when we do, I think we see the blessings of those that pursue self-control in these areas. And I think we see the harm for those who fail to manifest self-control in these areas. And so that's the challenge for us today. Do we have self-control as it pertains to these three specific topics that we've talked about this morning? I hope that we do. I hope that we do, and I hope that as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God and allow Him to work for us and in us and then through us, we can manifest the self-control that comes from the Holy Spirit today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If this episode was a help to you, please subscribe and share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.